Hello and welcome to this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. I'm your host, Jordan Plank. Joining me are Dr. Stan Wallace and Dr. J.P. Moreland. Both are philosophers and theologians dedicated to engaging the Christian mind in excellence through their teaching and writing. In the last two episodes, we have discussed why it is important to think Christianly. What do we mean by the words thinking and Christianly? In this episode, we take some time to answer that question. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me. As I was thinking about preparing for this episode, there was a song that was running through my mind just over and over again. And it was, if I only had a brain, Um, (laughs) my grandfather was in a choral group that would sing that song often. So I've probably heard it hundreds of times. Um, as we're talking about thinking, as we're talking about Christianly, what that means, the lyric that specifically stuck out was, I could think of things I've never thought before, and then I'd sit and think some more. So uh, we're hoping to uh, have a conversation today about the words thinking and Christianly, what they mean, uh, what we mean when we say them. And hopefully you can think of things you've never thought before as well. And maybe like the scarecrow, you can learn that you have a capacity that you weren't using. So my, my first question to kind of get us going is what is thinking? Uh, thinking is a, a mental process that discerns truth by reasoning. And so it is not uh, focused on sense experience, though it may start there. For example, you may see uh, a weapon in a person's car, but then you begin to reason about and infer certain conclusions that person is about to commit a crime uh, that uh, are not sensory processes uh, they're purely mental processes. So the mind is an, is an ability that we have uh, to discern uh, good and bad uh, evidence for a conclusion, to, to discern true and false claims, uh, and to obtain knowledge through thinking. And it is uh, very, very important uh, to living any kind of life because you can either do it well or not do it well. Stan, would you like to elaborate? Well, I'd like you to maybe comment on something. It sounds to me like uh, that the scarecrow should have been singing if I only had a mind. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) In fact, in fact, it's one of the one of the very funny, subtle ways that the church has been. uh, sucked into the culture without knowing it mm-hmm. by adopting brain talk because uh, uh, you don't need a brain to think. In fact, many people uh, who have Dandy Walker syndrome have a 10% of a brain. It's just a little, little, uh, just a few centimeter sheath of brain tissue that is in the inside of their skull. And their head is almost uh, nine, it's 90% filled with fluid. And yet they can think and reason and are largely function up uh, 80% functional. There are a few things they can't do. And when you die and, and leave your body, uh, you'll be able to think just fine. 
uh, without a brain. So the brain is like a steering wheel. If you're in the car, if it doesn't work, you can't move around. But it isn't what does the driving. I am. And it just helps me direct my driving. So if the brain's damaged, I won't be able to think in the car or in the body. But if I can leave, the steering wheel being broken won't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good analogy for questions I often get asked about how do the mind and brain relate or how do the soul and body relate? And that driver and a car analogy really helps, I think. And there you really have to avoid straw man fallacies, of course. Oh my gosh, You're, there you go. There you go, Jordan. All right, I'm done, I promise. You're on fire. <laughs> uh, so as as we're talking about the, the difference there, I think we, we probably could have an entire other podcast on what is the difference? How are the mind and brain related? How are the mind and soul related? Um, but maybe JP, would you talk about the five states of the soul and help us put thought in there in context? Well, the, 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 the soul has what you might call compartments. Uh, the technical word for it are faculties. Uh, and these are different compartments. And like in a chest of drawers, each compartment has a whole bunch of uh, similar things, like a sock drawer might have a lot of different socks, but they're all socks. Same with the T-shirt drawer and so on. Well, one drawer of the soul, human soul, is uh, the compartment that contains thoughts and beliefs and the powers of uh, reasoning. Another one contains all of your range of emotions and, and, and feelings. Another drawer would include all your uh, wills, a power, all the power you have uh, uh, to will certain things. And uh, the spirit would be a drawer that would be the power to be uh, directly aware of the presence of God, and I believe of uh, deep demonic and angelic beings. So there are there are like compartments or, or uh, that contain abil- abilities to think or feel or what have you. Mm. Yeah, that's a great that's a great analogy too. Uh, the only place it breaks down is drawers are self-contained, yes. and what's in the sock drawer doesn't have much to do with what's in the shirt drawer. Whereas yes. the faculties of soul are deeply intertwined, such that yes. what I think affects how I feel and what I do, and so on and so forth. Ex- excellent point, and uh, you're right. It, it it breaks down at a certain point, <laughs> so it, you don't want to push the analogy too far. No, but it's really good. Hmm. Uh, Jordan, you asked about thinking Christianly, mm-hmm. and um, I'd really love to hear Stan's view on this. Stan, you've done a lot of work in this area. In fact, your whole ministry uh, is designed to help place Christian faculty uh, around the world. And one of the things you want them to do, I'm sure, is to think as Christians in their teaching. Uh, so what, what t- speak on this, if you would. Uh, yeah, that's right. One of our main emphases in global scholars is encouraging and equipping Christian professors to bring every thought under the Lordship of Christ, as the scriptures talk about. And so that really involves having a understanding of biblical truth and uh, having an understanding of issues in one's academic field and then finding the points of connection. They might be areas that help develop the thinking in the field. They might be points that critique the thinking in the field from a biblical perspective. Uh, 
but in one way or another, finding that true integration of what is taught in Scripture and what is discovered in one's field of study, and uh, and helping then students and colleagues and others understand those points of integration so that we can truly understand reality as it is, as God has revealed in both of his books of Revelation, both his scriptures, the written word, and his creation, uh, the other book of Revelation that we study in the academic disciplines. And ultimately, through that study and integration, there is the acquisition of knowledge. We learn about the world. We understand what is true and what is good and what is beautiful. Hmm. And Stan, when you say knowledge, what are the different ways of knowing and then the relationship of that knowledge to reality? Right. Well, and that's something JP's written so much on. I don't want to say a lot. I want to defer to you, JP, but but it is important to, to note there are more than one ways of knowing. We tend to think the only ways to know something is to know it scientifically, and we certainly do have knowledge through science, but uh, we, uh, we can easily slip into scientism where it's no longer science that we're, we're, that we're in favor of, but we're in favor of a broader worldview that says all we can know is what we know by science, and that's, that's just plain wrong. I know a lot of things that I could never know scientifically. I know that I'm uh, I'm, I'm a self. I know, uh, I have a soul. Uh, that's not something that in, in any way could empir- be empirically verified or proven. Uh, I know a lot of things just by doing them by, by experience. Uh, I know my wife by acquaintance in ways that is, are not reducible to science. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of other ways to know things and it's to our detriment, I think, as, uh, as the people of God to, to follow the culture's lead to reduce all knowing to empirical or scientific knowing. Mm-hmm. JP, I'd like to have you say a lot more about that. <laughs> well, no, I, uh, let me add something. Uh, Stan's uh, points about um, thinking as a Christian. Um, I think the important thing that, that he, so he said was that I, I really would like for Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. I'm not, I'm growing toward that. Uh, I, I'm, I think he's more my Lord than he was five years ago, but it's a process of growth and maturity. Now, wh- why would I want to do something like that? Well, uh, for one thing, I, I think he's, he deserves it because he's uh, who he is. He's worthy of it. He made me. He's uh, the, the greatest person who could possibly live uh he he, uh i'm owed it to him and it's not just a duty but but he's worthy of this uh he's worthy of being my lord because of his characteristics he's not a bad lord he is a actually a good lord secondly uh i may be dumb but i'm not stupid um uh, i'm not going to try to make it through life on my own i'm not smart enough uh, people say, well, you know, you ought to rely on yourself. Well, good luck on that. How's that working out for you? Uh, my view is that I will, of course, rely upon my own uh, choices. I have responsibilities, but I'm going to take as much wisdom as I can get from wherever I can get it. Uh, and, and I think that the first place I'm going to go uh, is going to be Jesus Christ and in, in the scriptures because they have been proven 
for for millennia to be to be trustworthy, wise, truthful guides to reality and a flourishing life. So part of so what that means is that learning how to think as a Christian, whatever that means, uh, is going to be a part of my desire to want to be a Christ-like, mature, uh, well-functioning person. Now, now I think. Uh, thinking Christianly, however you want to put that, just means uh, to to think about all the issues of my life from a perspective that would please God and be the way he thinks about it. So I would like to think about work or politics or whatever it might be the way God thinks about it. I'd like to have the same views he does. I'd like to let the scriptures inform uh, how I think about it. I'll give you an example in a minute. But then uh, the Bible doesn't comment about a lot of things. And so that means then secondarily, I want to dive into great, rich Christian books and literature Mm -hmm. down through the centuries. And today there are many good books that are being written. Watch podcasts listen to books on tape, however I might gain insight from trustworthy uh, thinkers, and then also from non-Christian thinkers where they don't contradict the scriptures. That's why I think secular psychology is a wonderful tool, but I hold it under the word uh, so that if it says for me to become a fully uh, mature adult that I need to have sexual relations with people outside my marriage because that will expand my sense of my own power to choose the way I want to go. That's going to be, I'm not, that's just, you can forget that. Uh, that's just not going to be in a, on the, even on the table for me. But if it says that kids with an extrovertish personality need to be raised this way and kids with an introvertish personality need to be raised in a different way, Well, the Bible doesn't seem to say much about that, so I'm free on that question to follow the psychology on this to the degree it seems wise and fruitful in raising my kids. Mm -hmm. So to think Christianly would be to try to think uh, as God would about whatever it is in my life, especially things that matter, from a biblical perspective supplemented by good, solid Christian thinking, and then supplemented by good, wise, uh, knowledgeable, secular thinking that doesn't contradict Scripture. That Mm. would be the way I, I would do that. We will return to the show in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. As a listener to this podcast, you understand the importance of ideas. Right now, the next generation of leaders in universities around the world are being taught ideas that will shape their values and how they lead. Global Scholars equips Christian professors to teach and model biblical truths and values to help students learn to think Christianly. Please visit www.global-scholars.org to learn more. And now back to the show. I think one of the major challenges is as we seek knowledge, we're trying to get as close to the very truth of the matter as possible. So like you said, looking at scripture, looking at what God has spoken to the church through the centuries, evaluating these things. And as we do that in our daily life, what do you think someone who does that looks like 
in comparison to others? Well, I think it's the person who's getting better and better at seeing things as they really are. And a lot of that comes down to being able to make distinctions and understand how things might be different that at first glance might seem to be the same. Uh, I think this is a, a lot of what Proverbs is talking about as it as it distinguishes two things and helps us see things as they really are and not blur categories or confuse things. Uh, Hosea 4.6 talks about my people being destroyed because they lack, not, lack knowledge. And uh, a lot of that lack of knowledge is lack of being able to distinguish what's true from what's false. So uh, there's, a, there's a distinction that's made this helpful about distinctions uh, between simple seeing, seeing as, and seeing that. And let me just give you an example. So let's say you walk into a football locker room. You've never played football, uh, and you see a whiteboard there with a lot of X's and O's and lines and arrows on it. Well, if you're just simply seeing, all you know are there are X's and O's and lines. And you might deduce there's some, some type of plan here, but you, you really have no idea what's going on. But the players who walk into the locker room see so much more. They see it as routes there to run, uh, blocks there to execute. But the coach comes in and sees even more than they do. He sees that it's the best way to take advantage of various players' abilities, the opponent's weaknesses, clock management, and so on and so forth. So there's an important growth process we go through of from simple seeing to seeing as to seeing that. And I think that's what helps us better and better apprehend reality and live according to it. I love the way Dallas Willard uh, says it. He says, reality is that thing we bump into when we're wrong. <laughs> and learning to make distinctions and understand things as they are help us live according to reality better and ultimately, therefore, to flourish. Well, I think this is so uh, important, Jordan, because as Stan said, you see more. Uh, I could look at a sore on a person's arm, and I know it's a sore and maybe it's infected, but a doctor can look at it and he sees that it's a squamous cell, not a, uh, some other kind of a, a cancer, that there's other things going on. And he sees more than I do because he has trained himself over the years through study and learning that give him eyes to see what's going on. Now, an illustration, I was watching the news years ago and um, this Congresswoman said, listen, we all have a right to be protected from discrimination. And uh, everybody knows that, but, but th there's no difference between that and having a right to healthcare. Uh, and I should be able to have a, a right to universal health care that the government provides. Uh, if you've got one, you've got both of them. And, and a lot of people would have missed what happened. But because I uh, have uh, attempted to develop a Christian worldview, I know the difference between a negative right and a positive right. And a negative right is a right that, that I have for the government to protect me from being harmed or discriminated against as I try to get something on my own ability. The government doesn't give me anything. It, it protects me from uh, be, being uh, discriminated against. Healthcare, on the other hand, is a positive right. The argument is that it should be something the state gives to me. Well, positive rights don't follow from negative rights. In fact, if you look 
at the places in the Old Testament where the prophets are berating the rulers of other nations outside Israel for doing things wrong. And if you look at the key passages in the New Testament on the state, as far as I can tell, the state's job is to protect negative rights, not to give positive rights or provide positive rights. Now, if I'm wrong about that, you can bring an argument, but at least I saw that. And there's so many things I see that other people don't see, just like a doctor, because I've spent years working real hard at learning how to think as a Christian. And you do that uh, by being around uh, thoughtful Christian people, uh, hang around and ask questions, invite them into your Sunday school class, watching podcasts like this one, Thank those are available today, and absorbing and taking notes on what you learn, getting books on tape, uh, th reading, things of that sort. And if you'll become a lifelong learner with the goal of trying to see the world as a, a, from, from a God's eye perspective as revealed in scripture, and then secondarily in good Christian literature, and then third in, in, in non-Christian literature that doesn't contradict, then over the years, you've grown to be able to see more, and then you can be a better parent because you can see an opportunity for a teachable moment that you would have missed if you didn't have a Christian understanding. I mean, it just opens up so many doors mm -hmm. uh, to avoid pitfalls and to navigate your family in the right direction. Mm -hmm. You know, this came up last uh, in last the last conversation we had. This uh, ability to see things as they are and not get confused or sidetracked by uh, by failing to 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 notice something. So, for mm -hmm. instance, last time we were talking about. The idea that, uh, that that some say, well, we can't have total knowledge of God or fully understand God. His ways are, are, are above ours. That means we can't have any knowledge of God. We can't have any reason to believe or justification for our beliefs. Well, no, that's just failing to make a distinction between complete or full knowledge and accurate knowledge. But if Absolutely. you're not able to make that distinction by thinking well about that, thinking Christianly about that, then you end up into either... A, a blind leap of faith, which isn't sustainable as a Christian, or entirely rejecting the faith because you are a person who needs to have some reasons to believe what you believe. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. I think we see this too in the stories that we tell. Mm. I can think of many Mrs. Haversham or Miss Haversham in Great Expectations. You know, she ex she completely refused to accept the truth that she had been jilted at the altar. So she made her, she made it her wedding day forever and just kind of put her hands over her ears and said, la, 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 I can make reality what I want it to be. And in that, of course, Dickens shows, you know, this has consequences, major consequences. Or even when we think about some kinds of mental health, even, and you know, secular psychology, like you were talking about JP, so many of those illnesses are a deviation from reality. They, for whatever reason, and there are many, someone loses their ground with reality. And the interesting thing to me is that the best literature we have on things like phobias, um, things where people are potentially irrationally afraid of something, they have an untrue belief 
the best thing you can do to help them is to kindly and responsibly expose them to the truth. Say it's a fear of elevators. You help them by walking them up to an elevator and walking them through the process. It is not by engaging in their disjointed view of reality. That's a good point. And that relates to apologetics and giving a reason for the faith. Because a lot of times it seems to me that atheists and agnostics are simply not willing to face reality, to engage the evidences and reasons for the faith. Uh, JP, what do you think about that? Yeah, and I think uh, so many atheists are uh, that way uh, because of disappointment with God or anger toward God, mm. uh, perhaps because they're projecting on God a really bad father figure. I don't, I'm not saying they're all that way. But there's no doubt in my mind, after doing this for over 50 years, uh, time and time again, uh, methinks you protest too much. I mean, there's a, there's just a trigger that's going on. There's more than going on than, than this present conversation we're having. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that one of the things that allows uh, a, a, an unbeliever to hide in that distorted thinking namely letting your anger or your disappointments cloud cloud your ability to to, to really assess what's happening um uh, they're able to do that because they heart the 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 desire to get back at god or to get away from him harnesses the mind to justify what we want and so that is where the mind is being the dog that the tail is wagging and the tail is desires. And what we can do through apologetics is not, is not necessarily lead somebody to Christ, though I've done that. But I just read an article yesterday online that says apologetics doesn't really win people to Christ. Well, I've, I guess it does. I've done it myself. But, but most of the time, no. But not in, the, not in the moment. But we don't have any idea what happens uh, six months later. But one thing apologetics can do is to show a person that this is a, that this reason is really an excuse because there are good answers to this problem and maybe your relationship to God or, or is rooted in something else that you ought to look into. So I think thinking Christianly is extremely important in just helping people face their own issues and that's tough mm-hmm. tough love sometimes but that's not non-love if it's done with the right motives it's mm-hmm. tough it's tough love. Mm-hmm. So let me raise a pushback that I often hear to the idea of thinking about our faith in this way and the importance of the life of the mind. Uh, for instance, James K.A. Smith, a professor at Calvin University, has has said, you know, you are what you love, as Augustine has written, and 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 argues from that that the core of the person is really the heart and it's not the mind. So the desire for love is central not the desire for truth. And so if, uh, if that's true, he argues, it's wrong to emphasize belief and doctrine and teaching as central to the faith uh, over love. How, how would you respond to that, JP? Well, you don't determine the proper use of something by its distortive use. And you can uh, become so caught up in truth that you don't develop your heart or your warmth and kindness 
your love and so on. But that doesn't mean that you should get rid of your search for truth. It just means you should add to it a healthy uh, cultivation of your power to love and be affectionate toward people in an appropriate way. I think secondly, Jamie uh, Smith has written so many books that are espousing ideas and truths and doctrines. Uh, namely, they're his views about how we ought to go about things as Christians. And um, he, he thinks they're true. If he doesn't, then I have no idea why he's sharing them with us. I mean, if I were to ask him, do you think that this is actually true, that this emphasis on, on truth and so on is leading people away from love? Do, do you believe that that you really believe that's the case? Sure. If he claims, I actually believe this, then I'm going to ask him, what are your reasons? And so at the end of the day, truth is foundational. Um, you can't even make an assertion that love is the most important thing or that people are what really matter if you don't think the assertion is true. So all of those assertions presuppose that truth is important. It's always bugged me that people who bash truth and say what really matters is, is the way people live. I don't understand why they don't write in chapter one a long autobiographical chapter about the way they're living. Because if the way we live is what really matters, then the first thing I should care about, if I'm going to read any further, according to this person's view, is how he's living or she's living. But they never do that. They move straight away to ideas. It's just kind of funny. Hmm. Right. And my guess is that he's writing to a slightly different audience, maybe believers who get all their doctrine and apologetic arguments right, but don't have love, as uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, very eloquently said, is nothing more than a clanging gong. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the point you make still stands. And I think I'd also want to add that to love something, you have to first know it. And know it's worthy of being loved. And knowing in what order it ought to come in your love. So you can prioritize and order your loves accurately. So so it does seem to be a false dichotomy between knowledge and love, between beliefs and, uh, and action. Uh, both are necessary, the mind and the heart. But it is the mind first to even know and determine those loves. But here I'd like to raise another objection that I often hear. Uh, sometimes when I'm talking about these issues, someone will say to me that the mind is hesitant to go where the heart refuses to tread. Uh, in other words, our emotions and intuitions are the real driving force, and our reason simply finds ways to justify what we already want to believe for other reasons. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, it seems that the life of the mind and the commitment to ideas and truth aren't really as central as we might at first glance think they are. What do you think about that objection? Right. Uh, three things. I mean, obviously, the first question is, how do people know that? How do you know that we do that? I mean, you're making a claim here, and you, you might be wrong about it. So I'd kind of like to know why you think that's true. So again, truth is inescapable here if a person is going to make a claim like that. Secondly, I would say that you're confusing the, the way people do things with the way they ought to do them. 
And it, even if it's a psychological generalization that people do in fact do this, it is also a psychological generalization that people tend to look down on those that are different from the way they are. So uh, even if they're right that, our, that we do martial reasons to support what it is we want to do, that's a terrible way to live. And uh, so I think that the, the solution to that is not to use that as an excuse to, to not use the mind, but it should be motivation to do even a harder job of using the mind to correct this disordered tendency. And then I think the third thing I would say, Stan, is that the person is assuming that because that's the way most people are today, that's the way it's always been. And I would be willing to bet that in the 1800s, most people did not approach life that way. They, they tried to uh, do things that they thought were true. And the role of the emotions has not held constant in human history as a motivator. So uh, it doesn't follow from the fact that that's the way it is in North America in the beginning of the 21st century, that it's even that way today in, I don't know, other countries or uh, earlier periods of history. Mm -hmm. As a culture that has nearly all of its desires met, we are not doing well. That's right. <laughs> this, is That's not, right. this has not gone well. Exactly right. Exactly. I'm going to transition us now to thinking Christianly, talk about the Christianly aspect of that and what, what we can do to integrate biblical truth in all of life maybe some blind spots that you guys see in what happens when people attempt to integrate biblical truth in all life. Stan. Oh, Jordan, that's such a good question. Uh, speaking autobiographically, it's just so easy for me to compartmentalize and not see all of life as related to the, uh, the the wisdom and knowledge that comes from knowing God and his revelation. So, uh, you know, it comes out by often uh, thinking about certain areas like my growth in Christ through a biblical lens, but not thinking about my uh, work nine to five in the same way. And, uh, and and the thing that helps me so much is being around people like, well, like you, JP, in the years we've had together to really model for me what this looks like to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's obviously a long journey and uh, part of being in a community of others who can help us do that well, that, that help us succeed in that. Otherwise, it's all too easy to do just the opposite and to not integrate biblical truth into all we do. Uh, in, in the area I work in, in higher education, I am amazed and actually discouraged by the number of Christian professors who adopt an assumption that they should leave biblical convictions and truth out of their research and writing and teaching. It's got a big fancy name. It's called methodological naturalism. And it just means that in one's methodology, when one does uh, does academic work, the only explanations that should be used are those that are natural. In other words, not supernatural, not 
God as a cause of anything. And uh, uh, some people like Alvin Plantinga have written some really nice responses to this, and I think given a very strong case that one ought to bring all knowledge to bear on a question that needs to be answered, including biblical knowledge. But uh, it's not the common way that scholars, uh, even Christian scholars, tend to approach issues uh, these days. And uh, again, I think part of our uh, discipleship under Christ uh, is to do just that, to integrate biblical truth in all we do. And we ought to uh, challenge one another to that standard. Well, I, I, you're dead, dead on there. And um, one of the things that so troubled me, and I've had the privilege of being the invited speaker to, le- to lecture to, I'm going to guess 10, 11 uh, Christian College Coalition faculties in their August faculty conference before the school year starts, uh, to be a plenary speaker to talk about integrating uh, uh, Christianity with your subject of teaching. And it has been shocking to me just how little people know about or try to do that. And as a result uh, of years of neglect in this area, I would have to say that probably 80% of the Christian colleges and universities uh, in America are, are basically snake pits. They're dens of robbers. Uh, I would not send my kids there. I'd rather send them to a secular school where they know that these are unbelievers. But if you take an awful lot of these schools, they have drifted so far to the left that they're unrecognizable. We ha- I had a professor call one of my buddies that teaches at Biola just a couple of years ago and say that his school, I'm not going to mention the name, it's well known is completely gone as far as the cause of Christ is concerned. Mm-hmm. The faculty mock the gospel. They think that stuff is, is old-fashioned right-wing politics. And the, the way that Christian school, universities, and colleges have just so readily adopted a, a secular social justice, uh, racist, uh, white privilege model of what the church is supposed to be about is absolutely breathtakingly shocking to me. Um, there, there has been virtually among academics who teach at Christian colleges and schools, virtually no effort or even no ability to, to, to say, okay, hold on. This stuff is coming from a neo-Marxist perspective I don't want to commit the genetic fallacy and say, therefore, it's wrong, but that does at least raise red flag. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to see if I can read some stuff that gives a more biblical take on this before I dive in uh, in the deep end. And yet no, almost nobody's doing that. And as a result, our schools are our Christian schools are becoming uh, I'm talking now about the colleges and universities increasingly worthless and harmful to the gospel. And it's a cause of great sadness to me, precisely for the reasons we're talking about here. I think there is there is a word of hope here, too, because at least it has been my experience that when I start to put truth of Christian origin into every area of my life, it's a little bit like 
I, I don't know if you remember the process of learning how to read, but all of a sudden you see letters and it's a word and you can't not see it. Yes. So as we practice these skills and as we work to integrate and think, wow, what, what is it about this that reveals the character of God? What is it about this that I should be informing with a Christian ethic? Uh, as we do that, it gets easier and you start to see it everywhere. Yes. Just like getting good at anything, mm-hmm. uh, tennis or whatever. Uh, it's hard to do at first, but the more you work on it, the easier it gets. You're right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a plane to catch, so I want to thank both of you for having me, and I'll look forward to our time next month. Yes, sounds great. Well, you enjoy your trip. I will. Safe travels. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye, JP. Bye-bye. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation in the pursuit of faith, seeking understanding. Be sure to check out today's show notes at www.thinkingchristianly.org slash podcasts, where you can find more information and the resources we discussed, as well as share your thoughts to keep the conversation going. If you found this episode helpful, please help spread the word by leaving a review on your preferred podcast platform and share this podcast with others who may enjoy the conversation. Be sure to check out Stan's other podcast, College Faith to help Christian students thrive during their university years. Visit www.collegefaith.net. And finally, please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, at global-scholars.org to help equip Christian professors to share God's truth and grace with their students and colleagues. Until next time, this is Jordan Plank encouraging you to think Christianly.